Amen. Amen. Would you stay standing while we pray together over the offering, over the word? Lord, we thank you, O oh God, for how you have given of yourself. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done in the world so that we may have heaven. And God, I pray that all of us who believe would be stewards of every resource that you have given us. Lord, as we pray over the offering, we thank you, O oh God, for your many blessings. We say that so much in prayer. God, if we are truly grateful, I pray that we would be a steward, that we would give of our resources, Lord, as we can and as you lead us to do so. We thank you, O oh God, for how you have blessed this church, Lord, and being able to see the ministry of this church in action over the last week. I thank you, Lord, for these that are faithful to contribute, Lord, so that we are able to reach out and to reach in. Lord, we pray over the message today. I pray, O oh God, that you would increase our faith. Lord, where we are weak, make us stronger. And Lord, if there be any that are lost, draw them to a place of decision. Lord, if there are those that are saved, that you would draw us to a place of maturity. We thank you, O oh God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what this day means in the week. And Lord, again, we pray for our graduates. We pray, O oh God, that you would guard and guide and protect them, Lord, that you would purpose them for your glory, Lord, that they would know that, and Lord, that you would give them direction and determine their steps. Thank you, O oh God, once again for your word, and we pray that you bless the teaching of it now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we begin, you can turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. A couple of things on the front end of the message. Number one, Josh Shirley announced that there's a spider on the pulpit, and he killed it and left it. So... <laughs> thing is mean. I'm pretty sure it is dead. Okay, good. It is dead. That, I can feel that. That's weird. All right. Never done that before. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> secondly, where's Mark Morgan? Mark. There's Mark in the back. I just want to, uh, I want to, um, Joe, a graduate, comes by and he goes, it's my dad's birthday. Will everybody sing happy birthday? I was like, first of all, perfect timing to throw that on me right before the sermon, Joe. Excellent. Mark, Happy, on behalf of all of us without singing, because I've also been in congregations before where if we sing to you, there's 10 more out here we've missed. I want to, uh, in, in the effort of diplomacy uh, and in the effort of inclusion, to wish you a happy birthday to you and everybody else in here that will celebrate a birthday soon. So happy birthday, Joe, well played, uh, and welcome to church, amen. It's good to be in church and smile together and laugh together, and I uh, hope that you will uh, join me in Mark chapter 9 as we... We'll look at the faith of a follower. We have been working through the book of Mark at all three campuses in the last couple of weeks. We have looked at the framework of a follower, which is self-denial, giving up your own way. We've looked at the foundation of a follower, which has to do with listening to Jesus. How many of us listened to the Lord this week and took the time just to hear God's voice? Today is about the faith of a follower and believing above ourselves, believing above the things that we see to what we, we don't see, the, the substance of the things that we don't see, and what it means to believe on one that is above us and greater than us. In Mark chapter 9, the Bible says, starting in verse 14, when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. Now, if you remember, we looked recently at the Mount of Transfiguration, where the inner circle joined Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and they were seeing a glimpse of God's glory, and man, it was awesome and an awesome experience, 
And just as soon as they step down the mountain, Sunday goes to Monday and life hits them right in the face. You, you see where a, a, they are back to reality, where they are experiencing a crowd, an argument, a tension, and this is happening right in front of them if they had just left a brief respite to experience the glory of God. You see, we're not permitted to remain on the mountaintop for the duration. We come back to the experience to deal with people, to deal with problems, to deal with purpose. And then in verse 15, the scripture says, when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet them, ran to greet him. You see, the presence of God changes everything. A, a growing tension that is on the foot of the mountain has now been changed with the presence of Jesus. So as everybody is arguing amongst themselves, when Jesus shows up, it writes the ship. It makes everybody stand up straight and act right, and then they rush to the living God. And Jesus asked them, already knowing the answer, but he asked them, what is all this arguing about so that he can make them think and answer the question? The Bible says, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so that you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked you disciples to cast out the, your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now we've mentioned this before, but if you are wondering why don't we see a lot of spiritual demonic possession in our culture, I would suggest to you that it's because why would the enemy seek to possess when he can distract? He's got enough of us so distracted, there's no reason for us, for him to possess us. And so that is my conclusion as to why we don't see a lot of it in our culture. Verse 19, the scripture says, Jesus said to them, you faithless people. <laughs> That's pretty straight up, isn't it? Jesus says, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? And then he says, bring the boy to me. This does not seem like the response of a loving Savior. In truth, it seems more the response from a frustrated father. Like, how long are we going to have to do this? I've told you before. And rightfully so, when he says, you faithless people, he was speaking to all of them. He was speaking to the disciples even. He was speaking to the Father, speaking to the whole crew of the religious law, that, that lawyers, the religious uh, knowledgeable men who, who knew what the Word of God said and had been prophesied and they had seen the power of God. And now Jesus just puts them all together and says, y'all all faithless. And how long are we going to have to do this? Understand, Jesus had previously given the disciples authority to do ministry. He had already, in Mark chapter 6, he had sent the disciples that were standing there, he had sent them out three chapters before to do ministry away from his presence by faith. He had given them the authority to heal and given them the authority to cast out evil spirits. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 6, that's exactly what they did. So when he comes down the mountain and there is a demon-possessed child, it's frustrating to Jesus because he has already given them the spiritual resources that they need to see healing and help to this family. Now, he's also frustrated because we can see in this scene that apart from the disciples are this whole other group of doubters. Those who have the Pentateuch, the first five chapters at least, of the Word of God. They have prophecy throughout the ages. And they were not of the same mind. They were challenging the authority of the disciples. They had seen and heard the power of God 
And this is frustrating to the Lord because this group is the very group that he wanted to reach first. This group of the Jews is the very group that he wanted to, to enter blessing into the world. Romans chapter 1.16 says the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Jesus loved the ones that were arguing against him. Don't miss that. The very ones that were arguing against him and his disciples, he loved them. It's the saving work of God that he gave to them. And it was frustrating to see their greatest need in their life be ignored or not believed. Faithless people live by what is seen, and they disregard what is not seen. Faithless people disregard what is not seen and live by what is seen. Y'all, there is a spiritual world and a spiritual war going on every single day you wake up and have your coffee. Before you get into the day, the world is spiritual. Before you get into the day, there will be spiritual warfare. And we are to live in that world with God, and we are to defend in that war with the resources of God as we move through this life. And when we do not... When we do not recognize this as a spiritual world and warfare that we are a part of, we only plan and respond in the world that we see and feel. And we find ourselves lost in worldly matters when we do that. When we are only living in this world with no thought of God and no thought of spiritual life and no thought of spiritual purpose, we are not only living without the things that God is putting in front of us in the spiritual world, we are living subject to the chastisement of God. Exhibit A is this. you got a bunch of grown folks here arguing and a child is suffering. That's what's happening. you got a bunch of grown people arguing about why one person can't do another or how they would do it, and all of a sudden there's back and forth with doubt and disbelief, and there's discord, and all of them are at each other's throat. All the while, there's a child over here laying on the ground. You see, that's what happens when you get outside of the spiritual and you only live in the physical. You care about things that don't matter. Faith would have said, let's seek God together for the healing of this child. There were spiritual resources available to the disciples, but it was apparent they tried to fix a problem without God's help, so they were left helpless. There was a better way available to the teachers of religious law, but they can't even see that there is truth for their tradition. And all the while, a child is waiting for help. Now, I'm not sure what family needs to hear this today, and I don't know what individual needs to hear this today, but if your priority is to do things your way and your priority is to win an argument, you may do so. But be careful because in the process, you may neglect somebody looking to you for your help. And if they are old enough, I don't know that they'll ever forget that. When you had an opportunity to help, but you were so full of the world that you could only stay focused on what you wanted to accomplish in that argument, in that moment, while we just left them to hang to the side. Now, what we see in Mark chapter 9, verses 20 through 24, is Jesus begins to dialogue with the man who brought the boy. And verse 20 says, so they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. There is spiritual warfare taking place right in front when there is a demon possession, a takeover. And Jesus shows up, and the crowd is filled with awe and runs to him. 
And you know what else happens when the name of Jesus is preached? When Jesus shows up, demons are filled with fear and want to run from him. If you are in temptation, you need to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus because there's power in the name of the Lord Jesus. Young person, old person, everybody in between. If you find yourself in a place of temptation, pray and pray in Jesus' name. Because in Jesus' name and at the sound of Jesus' name, demons will shirk, shriek, run, and flee. And that's who we're dealing with. Amen. Verse 21 says, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father, and he replied, since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire, he said, into the water, trying to kill him. This is why you don't mess with dark stuff. This is why you, this is why you don't get lost in your mind on the internet and on your phone and researching resources. This is why you don't mess with that stuff. Because Satan ain't playing around. The Spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can, he says. Help us if you can. He don't know who he's talking to. See, verse 23, Jesus asks, he says, what do you mean if I can? And if your translation's a little bit different, just hold on. Don't get up and leave. I'm going to explain to you that the New Living Translation is thought for thought, and Wyatt puts that there. And he says, anything is possible, Jesus said, if a person believes. Anything is possible if a person believes. Y'all, that's not some Christmas movie type stuff. This is the Word of God. I'm not talking about magic. I'm talking about truth and power. And Jesus says, anything is possible if a person believes. Verse 24, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Can anybody get there? Yeah, we're going to talk about that. What we're seeing is desperation. It's a father's situation is desperate. A family situation is desperate. He has watched his son hurt for years, and the situation seems helpless. His family has likely been ostracized from, from other people. He, their vigilance for this family is likely very extreme as they are always keeping an eye on their child. This is hard. This is a difficult situation for this father. And without a doubt, he has heard of the power of Jesus, and he is hopeful And so this is why he runs to him and says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. You don't have to help, but we call on you to help if you can. And if you can, when he says that, and we need to think about that for our life, if you can leaves room for doubt. The hopeful faith, this is is hopeful for sure, and it's hopeful faith because Jesus has a reputation for power, but it's also unsettled faith. Because the father and the, and the family have, have likely been disappointed many times before. And the response of Jesus that's found in the New Living Translation says, what do you mean if I can? Now, the Bible that I read and that I study from and that I preach from is a thought-for-thought translation. Yours may be word-for-word. So what happens is when I study the Word of God, I'm studying the thought and I have to go back and study the Word. When you study, if you use a word-for-word translation, you study the word then to develop a thought. So I'm not reading outside of the scripture when he says, what do you mean if I can? But that is the meaning when he says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Meaning the healing (laughs) is not outside of me, brother. It's outside of you. There is no if I can. And so this is important because when he says, All things are possible to him who believes. 
What do we mean? Believe what? Believe that he can heal? No. Not just believe that Jesus can heal, but to believe that Jesus is God. Because when you believe that Jesus is God, you believe that God can do anything. Everything is on the table, that, that he has all power over everything that he created. He has all power over the physical world. God has all power over the spiritual world. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? Can you just know that today when we pray? And when you sing and when you ask and when you call on God, can you also just know that when you do, all of those things are still subject to his will, but nothing is too hard for the Lord. So I think about it just like I would go and talk to my daddy. If I believe my daddy can do it, I'm going to ask him what he tells me no is up to him. There's nothing too hard for him. While Jesus was on earth, some wondered if he was willing. While Jesus was on earth, some of them wondered if he was able. Just before this, Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And the father later on the Mount of Transfiguration said, listen to him as he was speaking of Jesus. What we are reading today is this. God desires to be known. This is why missionaries are still going to the ends of the earth. This is why local churches are still sending us to our neighborhoods. For God desires to be known for all of his power and his purpose and his glory and his goodness. For he is the only one who deserves to be known. Who is the only one who deserves the glory. And the Son of God, Jesus, reveals the Father to us. Reveals God to man. So there is no if I can when it comes to Jesus. He is God. Which means he can do anything. Here specifically, Jesus is revealing the power of God over and above everything that he created, over and above the physical world, over and above the spiritual world. When he healed people of certain things, he was proving his power over the physical world. When he freed them from demons, he was proving his power over the spiritual world. Genuine faith, genuine faith is not to simply believe that God exists. Do you believe that God exists? Good for you. So do the demons. Genuine faith is not just to believe that, that, that God exists. It is the belief that his way is better and that his will is perfect and that he has a godly purpose and that his power is unmatched and that his grace is sufficient. It's all of it. When you are believing in God with genuine faith, you believe that he can. You also believe that he knows what is best. You believe that his time is perfect. You trust him when he says no. This is the genuine faith that the Bible talks about. If you find yourself like this father, where you are living in between doubt and living by faith, the distance between the two, Lord Jesus, I pray, oh God, that you would make this plain to all of us today. Lord, keep our attentions for the next few moments so that we may get it and serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you find yourself like this father in between living in doubt and living by faith, if you, have you ever been there or are you there now where you are living in doubt and also trying to live by faith or you're more on one side than the other? The distance between the two has everything to do with knowing the object of your faith. If he had known and believed who Jesus is completely, and I know that's big words, but if he had known and trusted who Jesus is completely, he'd be like, just get him to him because he'll get him. There won't be any if I can. It'll be if I can just touch the hem of his garment. It's going to happen. That's the genuine faith in the full power of God and the faith that if he says no, not right now, then you trust him to know that the answer is correct at that moment. 
A faith issue is a relationship issue. See, again, that's the distance between living in doubt and living by faith is knowing the object of your faith. If we were to do a trust fall up here, and I said, you know what, let's give me a, and I pointed at somebody and said, let's bring them up here right now. Some of you are thinking we're about to do that. We're not. We could, I guess, uh, Greg. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if, if, uh, if we brought you up here right now, put a microphone in front of you and said, all right, we're going to do a trust fall. A trust fall is where somebody kind of stands like this, or they stand like this, and we say go, and you just drop back, and the person behind you is the person that's going to put their arms underneath you and catch you and will not let you fall. If we did that right now, who would you pick to catch you? Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> like y'all looking at each other going, it ain't you, buddy, right? <laughs> who, who would you choose? Who would you choose to catch you if we did a trust fall? Because at the end of the day, you're not going to just ask somebody to do that at random, right? You are going to trust somebody, or you're going to choose somebody that you know and trust with your life. That's who you're going to put behind you. But it actually doesn't just stop there. The first person that I would choose to catch me behind me would be my wife. I know Brittany would try her best to catch me. <laughs> and I say try her best because as I thought about this, I thought, big boy has gained a little weight since high school, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that she's going to give her life to catch me, but it may take her life to catch me. So it's not just about the relationship to who you would choose to somebody that you know would catch you. Watch this. It's also about trusting somebody who's willing and able to catch you. So it changes it a little bit, doesn't it? So if you are putting your life, your trust in the hands of somebody else and we're doing the trust fall, who would you choose? Because yes, it's about the person that you know and love and that you trust, but it's also somebody that's willing and it's somebody that's able to take care of it as well. This is the object of our faith, y'all. Jesus can be known and trusted. He is strong and mighty, willing and able. He can take care of it. If Jesus has gone to the cross and endured the world and suffering to the cross and has laid down his life and in that grave and all the power of God got up and defeated death to give us eternal life. If he can be trusted with all that, he can be trusted with whatever. You see, but, but most of the time when we're in a situation to trust, we find ourselves trying to learn God instead of know God. So I encourage us all now, if we're in a season where it's, it's not one of those difficult times, won't you go and get to know him now so that when you get to the trust fall season, you'll know who's behind you. And because we are discussing sound doctrine, because that's what we're discussing, I think this is a good place to stop and to say carefully that Jesus said anything is possible, not everything will happen. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus said in the scripture, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if everyone, if, if anything is possible, excuse me, if a person believes. He said, anything is possible, not everything will happen. 
Y'all take this down. I think it's going to be on the screen. Jesus is not trying to make satisfied customers. He's after devoted followers. Now, I'm a satisfied customer of the gospel. I want you to understand that. And that, that's been used in language, been used in language by me before. But in this instance, what I'm trying to communicate to you is a satisfied customer is something that expects one thing, it is given to them, and then they give their satisfaction. Y'all, we're to follow Jesus whether we're satisfied or not. Jesus is not after satisfied customers. He's after devoted followers, followers who believe in the full power of God and the demonstration of that power and and believe that all of that power is subject to the overarching will of God. Healing, for example. Healing is up to the Lord. You see, while on earth, Jesus healed many, but I don't believe that Jesus healed all. You know, while Jesus was on the earth, Jesus raised some from the dead, but some died. So when we think about all of these things, Jesus did not live and die and raise again so that we could remain in good health and good circumstances in this life. Jesus gave his life and rose from the grave. He was obedient to the will of the Father so that we would do the same. Follow him and and, and do the same. Reflect the glory of God while awaiting what? While awaiting the fulfillment of the promises of heaven, of eternal life. You see, we often struggle to believe fully Because we think God exists to answer our prayers. We think God exists to give us what we want. So we struggle to believe when he says no. We often struggle with this just like the Father. Have spent most of our time on this earth where we engage in other relationships and resources and recreation. So when it's time to trust, we are often learning who we are trusting before we fully trust. Jesus' power can heal and give life, but his cause is not to sustain life on this earth. His cause is to provide forgiveness and right standing with God so that we can live forever in the presence of God. This is why the scripture says to set your, set your sights on the realities of heaven, set your mind on things above. Jesus is above. Jesus is eternal. Jesus carries out the will of God. This is to set our sights on the, on the mind of God. In the person of Jesus. This scripture that I'm about to read to you comes to mind a lot in my life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That's, that's the Bible story we all teach and tell when children are children and we need to revisit as adults. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they refused to worship false gods. They, they were facing execution. A king who's coming after their life, wanting them to deny what they believe and who they are and to turn and go the way that he has made And the scripture said, these three guys replied to the king, the king. Now, this kind of culture where there's a king, you ain't allowed to say whatever you want to say and get away with it, like we do here. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. This is what he says next. But even if he doesn't. Lord, have mercy that I get to that place of faith. But even if he doesn't, we will make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Our God is willing and mighty and able to save us, but if he chooses not to, you didn't win because I still believe in the God who saves and we will experience eternal life. You can't do anything with people like that. 
And see, that's, that's where, and now when you hear this like me, let me ask you a question. Do you want to be like that? Me too. None of y'all didn't hear respond to me. Do you want to be like that? Yes, absolutely, me too. Are you there yet? Yeah, me either. Me either. Y'all respond to that one. That was good. <laughs> me either. I'll just be fully transparent. I, I would love to believe and hope that in that situation that I would say the same. So for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We'll go down with the ship. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what we're going to do. But what we see here in the Scripture is a man who's just being honest, and he says, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me where I don't believe. Help me when it's, it's not 50-50. Help me when I'm 80% doubt. Imperfect faith. Take this down. Imperfect faith is still faith. The Father's faith. Now, Jesus healed apart from faith at times, but here he is making the lesson, the point of faith. Imperfect faith is still faith. The Father's faith was imperfect, but so was the disciples. It was the same for, for God's people in all ages. It's the same for the people in the church today. What do we do then with imperfect faith? If you're like me and you struggle with it, you ask God to do something, God doesn't do what we want, now all of a sudden we're mad at God, or we didn't thank him when we asked him and he did what we wanted him to, we didn't thank him even after that. Our faith is imperfect, we're very selfish, what do we do with that? We don't live frustrated, and we don't quit, and we don't settle. No. When we have an imperfect faith and we need more of it, we tell him. We go to him and tell him. Lord, help my unbelief. Can I tell you that when I really experienced this passage for the first time, that has added to my prayer life big time? Because this is something that I tell the Lord. Lord, I know that you can save Lord, I know that only you can do this. Lord, I know that you will come through and you have promised this and you keep your promises. But Lord, where I fall short in this, help me with my unbelief. It's just an honest gut response that is attached to that physical nature when we are seeking ourselves and not seeking the object of our faith. The response of the Father from the crowd is, is, is always, kind of when you hear that, it's almost refreshing, isn't it? Like you're like, oh gosh, you pray that too? I'm so glad to hear that. That's me, right? And by the way, that stuff right there happens in groups. When you move from the rows to the circle, you understand that everybody's walking the same walk. And you feel a whole lot better about where you fall short and you are strengthened within that group. So the response of the Father from the crowd is refreshing. It, doubt doesn't mean that you are necessarily failing. Doubt usually means that you're normal. Somebody's reading the scripture. <laughs> You're good. Thank you for having your Bible with you. The attitude of the man desiring wasn't, wasn't pride either. It wasn't like, here's my son. If you're the Messiah, let's see it, big boy. It wasn't any of that. It was a humble attitude. In humility, he brought his son to be healed. The disciples didn't come through. He asked the Lord to help him. And then he says there, Lord, help my unbelief. It was a humble request and response. And we know what happens when we are in humility. Did you know that the Bible says that if you are prideful before God, he will actively set himself against you? That you can sit in here in this church and you can question everything that's going on. You can question God himself. You can question the Bible and know that pride before God will be opposition to God. But the Bible also says in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
See, this man that came to Jesus was humble. Lord, help my unbelief. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm bringing him here, and I hope that you can help him. What do you, why, why would you hope? I'm, I am God. Well, Lord, help me where I don't believe. So when you read in verses 25 to 27, you read of Jesus casting out the demon, healing the child. Then in verses 28 and 29, as the crowds died down and the disciples were with Jesus, they asked him, because the father was not the only one found in doubt, the disciples asked him, how come we couldn't cast out this evil spirit? And Jesus replied, look there in verse 29. This kind can't be cast out only by this this kind can only be cast out by prayer. Only by prayer. You know what I take this to mean? They didn't pray. They didn't pray. When we don't pray, you know what we do? We factor God out of his own work. Every single Sunday morning, I am not met with the heart challenge to me, did you prepare? I am met with a Holy Spirit challenge of did you pray? I can get up here and talk. I even prayed this this morning. I was like, Lord, you know I can get up there and talk and nothing can happen. If I died today, somebody else would preach tomorrow and carry right on because God takes care of his church. I found myself this morning with the, the Spirit of God reminding me that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. That's, that's, not what, that's not a good pastor quote. That's the Bible. That if we are not connected to the vine, as we are the branches, if we are not connected to the vine, nothing of spiritual value will happen. And so in our life, when we get through a season where we're looking back and thinking, well, what I hoped happened didn't happen, sometimes the things that we're praying for are just personal requests. Sometimes the things that we're praying for are things that are truly what God values. And when we look back, I do wonder sometimes if we're thinking, why would God allow that? If God says, that kind of situation you need to handle with prayer, which means you didn't pray. You never factored God in to your life. You never factored God into the, the spiritual part, the physical part. Prayer, I believe, is our greatest demonstration of faith. Nothing sexy about prayer. Prayer services, and I'm just going to put it to you like this. When we have prayer services, one of the least attended things that we do. When we have prayer services here, it's almost like people think it's a night off. Or they just praying a night. Prayer is the work. See, I wonder, I wonder, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be unfound, unfaithful as a leader of a church where, where Jesus says, come on, sit down right here, man. The kind of thing that you're wanting to happen in your sanctuary, the kind of thing that you want to happen in your church, that stuff only happens by prayer, brother. Meaning, we are attending but not demonstrating faith. Now, this is not to condemn you and say that we cannot pray on our own and that we should, just like we should be reading the Bible on our own. But the church, as I see it, is to pray together. And when we pray together and we trust God together, we rely upon God together, we're going to know it when he does something, and then we get to praise together. Prayer is our greatest demonstration of faith, of our belief in his power and his authority, and, and, and what he says he will do, he will do as we pray. And if they didn't pray, they did not demonstrate that God could do what he can do. They didn't factor God in. Does this mean, now we need to answer this question as we're getting ready to close. It's not even 1130 yet. We all, we're doing good. Does this mean that if we pray... That God will do whatever we ask? No. No. 
but it does mean that God will receive glory because those who belong to him have called upon him and trust him to deliver regardless of the outcome. You see, what, think about what the world sees of a church praying when God doesn't immediately answer and then the next thing we do is pray and trust again. There's something to that. What are they doing? Why do they have peace in the middle of the storm? Why do they keep praying and the thing that they're praying for is not miraculously happening yet? They continue to carry on their life, living within that standard, living by the Spirit's power, living with peace of God on their life. Why do they keep doing that? So the people of God are to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we trust our God whether he comes through like we want him to or not. Abraham, for example, the scripture talks about Abraham. Abraham waited and waited and waited. God told him and Sarah, y'all going to have a child because I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the earth through you and through this nation. And Abraham waited and waited and he got older and older. And the Bible talks about how Abraham talked to God back and forth, back and forth. And the scripture actually says he never wavered. The Bible says that Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He brought glory to God while he waited. That's what the Bible says. And when you read Genesis chapter 15, when it says that he never wavered, and then you read Genesis chapter 15, you read where Abraham says, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Is that not him wavering? No, that's him asking and talking and relating to God and God being patient with him. I love it when, because you see here in the scripture in chapter 9 when the disciples are all about themselves, Jesus says, sit down, let me teach you. Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, God began being patient with him and he took him outside. Listen to that. He takes him outside and he says, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have which means what? Trust me, trust me, trust me. This is the foundation of a follower that we believe the object of our faith who is Jesus, who has lived, died, and rose again. Genesis 15, 6, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him righteous because of his faith. Imperfect faith, yes, but faith nonetheless. So I would encourage you today that God is not after a satisfied customer. He is after a devoted follower. That if God has not answered your prayers, then keep praying and keep hanging on. Keep trusting. If you are in a season where everything seems to be okay, then go on and get to know your Savior now so when you get into that chapter, you'll be ready to trust him fully and fall backwards into his arms because you know who you're dealing with. You know that his timing is perfect and his will is perfect. Last word on this. One pastor said that strong faith in a weak object fails. But even weak faith in a strong object succeeds. Man, that's so good. Jesus, his power is that of the strongest object. He is God and can be trusted always to keep his promises. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? I want to invite you like I always do, like we always have here at Lindsay Lane, if it's time for you to respond Y'all, it could be that, that your life has been lived off of works. It could be that your life to this point has been religion where you are trying to get the attention of God, trying to earn the grace of God. But we are saved by God's grace through faith in the object that is Jesus Christ. And so if you have never, if you've never like this child that we were, have seen be baptized today, 
If you have never lowered yourself before the throne of Almighty God and simply called upon the name of the Lord Jesus and seriously turned from your sin and turned to God, why not do that right now? Walk this aisle and you can tell us if you got questions. I've got questions. I need to be saved. That's why we're here. Or just bow your head and close your eyes with me, everybody right now. Maybe you're in this place. You know you need to be saved. You know you need to take steps of obedience. Would you simply and seriously right now call upon the name of the Lord Jesus? But you cannot deny what's going on in your heart. But it's time for you to be saved, for you to be right with God. Stop betting on yourself and trust God for what only he has done and can do. Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to join the church? Do you need someone to pray with you? Do you need to take your cares and concerns that are overwhelming? Do you need to take them to the altar today? Trust God when he says yes and even when he says no, that he is still good. Lord, I know that we have preached this strong. It's easy to do that. The trusting part is difficult, Lord, over our nature. And I know there are many here that are in situations or circumstances, God, where they are just like the Father that says, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. God, would you strengthen the faith of our church so that we would not doubt you when you've made promises, we would not doubt you when you have given instructions or commands, but that we would take you for your word because it has been proven by your power. And now as we respond, O oh Lord, whether that be with worship or we respond in prayer or we respond in decision, that we would do so full of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you. We have pastors here waiting to talk to you.